I thought we were making really, uh, really good progress. I like that. Hopefully rubbing shoulders with each other in your family doesn't look quite like that. Today we're talking about family. And let me ask you a question. What is, what's the, the room in your house that you guys spend the most time in? I heard somebody say the living room. Somebody else said the kitchen. I don't know if we spend the most time in the kitchen, but I love the kitchen. Do you guys love the kitchen? Yeah, kitchen where the good food is, it's where the coffee is. Man, I hope, I hope that you enjoy your kitchen. We do a lot of life in the kitchen. So um, this morning, I kind of want our conversation about family to feel a little bit like, like the kitchen. Like we're sitting around, leaning on the counter, having a cup of coffee together, talking about, about life together, about rubbing shoulders as, as Christians, as family, with our husbands, with our wives, with our kids, all right? So can we, can we kind of take that tone this morning as we, as we interact genuinely about what it is to, to be believers together in family? All right. Um, if I haven't met you, my name's Lad, and I'm one of the pastors here. And thanks again for all of you who've been praying for us. You know we've been here for just over a month, and we've kind of finally settled into a rental house in, uh, up in Mount Olympus. We're still looking to buy down south here, but we're, we're in a rental house there. And so we're excited to kind of finally be settled and in a place, and we're really grateful to the Mitchell family. They're allowing us to be there while their house is off the market. And uh, so here's a cup of coffee right here. Thank you so much, Heather. So I want you guys, hopefully you got a cup of coffee. Hopefully you got a cup of coffee, and we're going to talk about family today. And I want you to imagine that we're, we're in the kitchen, and one of the things when you're in the kitchen is you just, I don't know what your kitchen is like, but you're real in the kitchen. You're not made up and, and out, and we want you to know at K2 that we want you, I want to be real about what it is to walk with Jesus. We're not here to put on a show for each other. We're not here to to look good for each other and say everything's okay, that we genuinely want to pursue God. And we know that there's, there's steps in that process. There's parts of my life where it's not pretty yet. And in the kitchen at home, you just are who you are. And so we want to talk about, about rubbing shoulders. If you remember, we've been in Colossians 3. And remember where we started? It said, set your minds and your hearts on where? On the things of heaven. Don't be consumed with this life, with the things of earth, with earthly ways of thinking. Set your mind on the things of God. And right from the start, for us as, for us as Christians, he says, if you're going to walk with Jesus, with this new reality, this new life that he's given you, you've got to set your mind on things above. Not just, not just on stuff going on down here. And then he says further, he says there's some things in your life that that ought to pour out because of the fruit of God in you. There's some characteristics, some, some things that ought to pour out of you, just naturally, because Jesus is in us. And there's some old ways of life, there's some old paths that we just put to death. We, we don't go down those paths anymore. And what happens when you quit using a path and you start making a new path? It's not simple, but eventually the new path emerges and the old path grows over. And that's what he says it is to walk a new life in Christ to let those old paths die away, to kill them, to get rid of those old ways of thinking, those old ways of acting, and to start walking 
in light of what Christ has called us to as we interact with one another. Remember last week, if you were here, we had that tent up here because Paul says this. He says, you and I live in words, okay? That you and I live in ideas. And he says, live in the words of God. Let the words of God live in you. Let them come to life in you. Literally, have the words of God dwelling in you and in me. Because you and I look like where we live. If you go camping for three days and you stop at the gas station on the way back and you walk into the gas station, everybody knows what? He's been camping, right? Because you look a mess, right? Because you, you you've been without a sink, you've been without a shower, you, you smell different, you look different. You see yourself in the mirror and you think, who is that? It's because you've been living in a tent. And Paul says, don't live in those old lies. Don't live in those earthly thoughts. Instead, live in the truth of God's words. And we talked about a bunch of those last week. And so this week, we're asking the question, what does it look like to live in those words? What does it look like in our relationships at home to live in the truths of God? So if you would, you can turn in your Bibles, if you got them, to Colossians. Uh, If not, you can read on the screen. We're going to start in verse 16 of Colossians. Let the words of Christ dwell richly in you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. God, as we look at your word, we want to ask that you would teach us. We want to ask that you would reveal uh, your truth and the life of Jesus to us and what it is to to serve one another and to be like you in our relationships. So God, we ask that you would teach us and guide us this morning as we open your word. We love you, Lord, and we look forward to seeing all that you want to do uh, in us come to life uh, through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In this passage, uh, you just can't help but notice right from the start that Paul says our first relationship as believers in Christ is to him. He says in verse uh, 17 there, he says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, let it be done in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, he is our first relationship. Our first relationship is to him. Everything, and, and again, this goes back to everything we've been studying, because of Christ and because of the new life in him, everything gets done in him and out of thanks to God through him. So he's our first relationship. And he says, let everything you do at work, around the house, in relationship, at play, let everything you do, whether it's through words or actions, let it all be done in the name of Christ. Let it all be done out of the reality that he's living in you, that, that as I live and move, I ought, to, I ought to be thinking, this is because of Jesus that I'm acting this way. This is because of Jesus that I'm interacting in my my business world this way. I'm making this deal, I'm buying this thing because of Jesus, because of Him in my life. That we literally ought to think that 
in everything we do, it's because of Christ. Okay? That's our first relationship. Now, if that's true, we want to know what kind of heart Jesus has. We want to know the words of Christ. We want to know those things. Turn with me to Philippians. Uh, In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, we want to go to. In Philippians, it says that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. You see, if we do everything in the name of Christ, we ought to know what the attitude of Christ is. My kids are just starting school here. They're at Morningside. I told you we're up in Mount Olympus. Really enjoying school. We love the community and uh, actually had a big event there this weekend. It was fun to get to know some other families. And our kids came home from school and... Uh, most of you know that Crystal and I, we moved home from Southern Africa uh, six months ago. And uh, our kids can sing in Siswati a little bit. And so it's something that we don't want to die. You know what I mean? Because if they can sing in another language, you know it's going to go away soon. So we, we had them sing this song, and it's the, the national anthem. And this is the other night after, after dinner. And so they were singing, and, and then they said, hey, look, we want to teach you the, the national anthem, you know. And because for them, they've only gone to school in, in Africa, and they've heard it a little bit, but they're just getting used to saying the national anthem, or uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, excuse me, in the mornings at school. And so they said the Pledge of Allegiance, like they do at school every morning. And then they busted out the first couple paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence. So at their school, they're learning the Declaration of Independence as well. And so I was thinking about that, that each one of us have, I can't quote the whole thing, but each one of us have rights. And almost in who it is as Americans, we have, we have this notion that each one of us, because of God, have rights, and we have the right to the pursuit of happiness. And it's almost like at the core of who we are, we know what our rights are, that God gave us, that God made us for, and we hold on to those rights, It's almost who we are as Americans. And sometimes in our family, we find that you have lots of different people fighting for their rights against each other. Well, I have a right to this. Well, I have a right to this. And you see, what Jesus brought to us from God is the exact opposite. You see, if you and I are believers in Christ, we ought to have the same attitude as Christ. And in Philippians, we learn that Jesus, even though he was God, he created everything. Even though he existed in glory and had all the rights to everything, that he didn't consider it necessary to hang on to his rights. He gave them up for you and for me because he loved us. And that's how God revealed himself to us by by having rights and saying, I'll set them aside and I will serve you in love. You see, for you and I, as believers who have new life from Christ, the heart of everything is that we say, because of Jesus, I'm willing to put myself second. I'm willing to serve. Because of Jesus, I don't have to look out for my own rights. He looks out for my rights. If you go down to verse 24 in, in Colossians, in verse 24, it says, uh, Remember, the Lord is the one who gives you an inheritance as a reward. Uh, the master you are serving is Christ. You see, we do everything in the name of Christ because he's our master. He's the one that we're serving. And he will reward us. He'll look after us. He'll take care of our rights. 
We don't have to fight for him. So as you and I come to relationships, the first thing is he's our first relationship. And because he is, I can be second. And what he calls us to do is to serve others the way he served us. All right? So um, I said yesterday to some folks that I was using the S word in church this morning. And, uh, and this is a pretty big S word, okay? Um, read with me, if you would, in Colossians. Uh, go, to, uh, go to verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. The S word. That's a hard word. Anytime somebody tells you to submit at anything, what's your nature? Say, what, what do you do naturally? Absolutely not! No way! You don't want to submit. It sounds like defeat, doesn't it? Why is it that the word sounds like defeat? You just hear the word and it's like, oh man, I got to give in. If the speed limit is 55, how fast do you drive? 60, 63, 59, somewhere in there, whatever your equation for non-ticketing is, right? Okay, all right. Because we don't want to submit to that. Check out uh, Ephesians 5. It really... Ephesians 5 is a real similar passage that Paul writes to the the church at Ephesus. If you go to 5.21, he says this. He says, says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I don't know if you have 5.21 or not. Um, But it says, out of reverence for Christ, that we would submit to each other. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the basis for all relationships. Why? Because Jesus does the same thing. He put aside his rights. He submits to his Father. He even put aside his rights for you and me to serve us. He says the the heart of our relationships together is this S word, submit. And that's the hard one. So it says, wives, submit to your husbands in, in, uh, in verse 18. Why? Because it's fitting in the Lord. All right, let's talk about this a little bit. Because the reality is, is that all of these relationships are to imperfect people. Wives, all of us are imperfect. All of you are imperfect. And husbands, all of you are imperfect. And the reality is is that God calls us to be Jesus to one another. If you have Jesus in you, now remember, if you're here and you're just checking this whole thing out, that you start by getting introduced to introduced to Christ, okay? And that's really what we hope to do here at K2, is we want to introduce you to the truth and the goodness of God. And, and at some point, you choose, hopefully, to become a believer in Christ, to say, man, I need to be forgiven. I trust in you, Jesus. So you get introduced to the truth of the gospel, and then you become a believer, okay? Because at some point, when you don't know the gospel, the gospel is that all of us need a Savior. And and everybody needs forgiveness. And unless you have Christ, you're not forgiven. And you're not saved. And at some point you need to say, God, I, I, I get it. I need forgiveness. And it only comes through Jesus. And you become a believer. And then over here, once that happens, eventually behavior begin, begins to change. The problem with religion everywhere in the world, no matter what religion it is, even if it's a Christian religion, is that they put behavior first. Start to behave and eventually, eventually you'll probably get in. Behavior never changes a person. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Behavior does not change you. Okay, behavior is the fruit of a changed life. God is the only one that changes. Comes in, gives us a new life, and we change. 
All right? So over here, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. The reality is, is that all of us are working out these relationships with imperfect people. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands because they're worthy of your respect. He doesn't say that. He doesn't, he, uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, it uses the word honor and, and respect. It never says because your husband is such a great guy. Because he's such a great leader. Because spiritually, he's, he's amazing to you and your kids. He doesn't say that. He says, submit to your husband because of Jesus. You see, because once Jesus is in me, I'm second. And it's easy for me to be like him because I, I'm no longer living in these false words where I have, to, I have to look out for myself and for my own interests. Instead, it's Jesus is taking care of me and because of Jesus, I'm going to serve. Because of Jesus, I'm even willing to submit. Because of Jesus, I'm going to love you. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to sacrifice for you. You know, this has been abused for years and for in thousands of situations. We're not talking about abuse here. You know, there's, I mean, there's just, there's abuse that happens in the name of this. There's abuse in marriages. There's even sexual abuse in marriages. That can't go on. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about submitting to abuse. Man, if, if you're in a situation where you're being abused, man, we want to help you. Please come to me today. I'm not encourage you. I'm not encouraging you to to get beat in the name of this. That's not what I'm talking about. But Jesus says, "Ladies, be like me. Be like Jesus and submit because of the Lord." Now, submitting looks like. It does. It looks like honor and respect to somebody that isn't that isn't perfect. I don't know how to explain it. Um, I wish I could. I mean, I've been trying to think about how to explain it. But like when I know that Crystal loves me and serves me and and submits and and respects me and honors me um, when I don't deserve honor. Do you know what I mean? Because I know I'm not. I'm not, I don't deserve honor. I don't deserve respect. And when she serves me and I know I don't deserve it, ladies, I don't know how to explain it. It, it's, it like gives you wings. It's like, I want to be that man. Like, I want, I want to be respectable. I want to be, do you know what I mean? I don't know, I don't know if, uh, if some of you guys know what I'm talking about, but when you feel respected, in fact, do you know in surveys, um, this is kind of a, a stat made up on the spot, so I'll say it anyways. But I've heard it a number of places over and over that the, the main thing that men uh, don't feel is they don't feel like their wives like them. They feel like they love them and stay with them, but they don't like them. They don't respect them. And it's hands down, I've heard it over and over in a dozen different ways. Because you know all the flaws, ladies, of your husband. And he says, because of Christ, 
serve and love, submit to your husband. Because in Ephesians 5, if you go to Ephesians 5.25, he says this, this is the way God made up family. Okay, at K2, we truly believe that God made up family and that he created it. And he created all of us equal and of totally equal value. And he also gave us roles. And here's what he says in 5.25. He says, husbands, uh, love your wives. As Let me go back, sorry, to verse 23. Um, he says, the husband is the head of his wife Christ, as Christ is the head of the body, the church. He gave his life to be her savior, okay? Uh, you've heard of that. Head, head doesn't mean that he's the boss and he's in control of everything. It means that he's responsible. And what did Jesus do with that responsibility? He died for his wife. And in verse 25, here's what he says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her, okay? Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, you serve each other in these ways. Because of Jesus... You honor and respect and, and submit to a guy who's not perfect. And in the same way, men, he says in verse 18, he says to love your wives and never be harsh with them. To love your wives and never be harsh with them. Not because she's always lovable. Not because it's always understandable. Not because it's always easy. But because Christ loved the church. And love looks like this, man. Love looks like dying to yourself every day dying to your wishes every day for your wife ladies if you had a man a husband who was willing to die to his wishes to make you flourish every day would that not be the kind of guy that you would love to serve and submit to it is it's the way God it's the way God wired us the way God wired us is to be together like that, to serve one another. Guys, do you think Paul knows something about husbands when he says to love your wives and to be gentle with them, to never be harsh? Do you think he knows something about husbands? It's easy to be harsh. It is to be harsh in your tone. You know, I was sitting at Starbucks this morning and there was four guys having coffee just a couple tables down and, and just their interaction. They're not talking about anything. Not talking about anything. They're just meeting together for coffee in the morning. Um, not talking about anything. Just talking about everything, about food and life. And, and they're just harsh with each other. They're cutting each other down. They're saying, oh, you don't know anything, you know. And they're just harsh with each other. And women, you look at guys and you're like, why do you tear each other down? Oh, we're having fun. We're just talking. We're building each other up. These my friends. And on the outside looking in, guys are just able to be harsh with each other. You know what I mean? And whether it's talking smack, in fact, uh, in fact, Archie asked me who my team was, my football team, uh, was at the break. And he said... Um, he goes, well, now that I know, he goes, is it, cool to tear, or, uh, is it cool to talk smack to you on Facebook about him, you know? And uh, I'm from Cleveland, so I'll always be a Cleveland fan, always, you know? Don't ever plan on winning. Don't ever plan on winning, never even. But I'll always be a Cleveland fan just because I grew up in Cleveland. And so, you know, guys, we just, we enjoy relationship through talking smack. And, and there's that kind of, 
cheap level of harshness. But do you know that Peter says to us as husbands, he says, if you treat your wife harshly, God isn't going to listen to you. First Peter, you treat your wife harshly, God's ears are closed to you, man. There's a lot of times when I think, man, I got to quit talking to you, God, and go repent to my wife because you're not even listening. Because we have this easy ability to be harsh because usually we're serving ourselves. We want what's best for us. I'm looking out for my rights and pursuing my happiness and not pursuing my wife's happiness. Jesus says, if, if I'm really in you, then, then you ought to be second, willingly. And if, if we're second, then, then I ought to think, how can I serve my wife? How can I love her well in a way that leads her to holiness? The whole idea of Jesus giving up his life for the church, for us, is that we would be made holy. And he says to you as husbands, to me as a husband, he says, give up your life towards your wife ho- wife's ho- holiness. Excuse me. Towards your wife's holiness. In other words, help her flourish in life and in her relationship with God. Now, we don't make her holy. God makes her holy. But we can help lead her to that. We can help facilitate that. We're supposed to die to self. We're supposed to be second. Wives, you're supposed to be second to your husband. Husbands, you're supposed to be second to your wives. And if Jesus is in us, and, and aren't the best moments in life and in family when you're actually together serving each other as a family? Aren't those the best moments in life? Instead of everybody looking out for their own interests, hitting that buzzer over and over, hurting each other over and over again. All right, kids, are there any kids here? There's a few. All right, kids. You know, uh, well, here's what he says. Let's go to Colossians. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Parents all said, that's right, amen, okay? All right. Children, obey your parents. It pleases the Lord. Kids, you got to know, it's in the Ten Commandments. God says, hey, if you do this, I'll give you a good life. I'll give you a long and blessed life. Obey your parents. Honor your parents. Why? Because God says that He is a, a father to us. He wants us to get in the habit of obeying our parents. Jesus did the same thing, though. Look with me. Look over to John 14. In John 14, Jesus said the same thing about Himself and His relationship with the Father. He said, the world needs to learn that I love the Father... And that I do exactly what my Father commanded me. Exactly what my Father has commanded me. Over and over, Jesus says, I'm not speaking my words. I'm speaking the words that Father gave me to give to you. Jesus revealed perfectly who God was. He's the image of the invisible God. He says, this is who God is. The things that I'm saying, they're the things that God, my Father, has told me to do. And even when it got close to the crucifixion, you remember it. He said, God, I'll do whatever you tell me. This is really tough. Is there any other way? If there isn't, then I'm in. I'll obey you. Kids, you got to know that the, the best freedom in life is following the Lord and obeying your parents. 
not because your parents are perfect. He doesn't say, obey your parents because they're good. Obey your parents because they're right. Obey your parents because they're perfect. They never make mistakes. He says, obey your parents because of the Lord. Again, our first relationship is with Jesus. And because our relationship is with Jesus, it's easy to be second. I'm going to put myself second, Jesus, because you put yourself second. Parents. Verse 21. Here's what he says. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Fathers and and mothers, I think, as well. Parents. Don't exasperate or embitter your children because they'll become discouraged. How do we exasperate our kids? Do you know when you, when you teach kids, when you teach kids either in school or in Sunday school or in anything, they tell you that the languages of children are story and fun. That's what they tell you. Two languages kids speak are fun and story. Does that make sense, moms? Does that kind of make sense? Kids love stories and they love to have fun. And so hopefully our AC people, when they're on the job for that hour, they're thinking fun and stories. Parents, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be amazing for your kids to live in a world where their parents were on the job on occasion? Understanding that their language is fun and story. You know what I mean? If you help out in AC, thank you so much. But somehow we treat that totally differently than we do our own, at least I do, my own kids. I get home and, and I'm looking to see if homework's done. I'm looking to see if, you know, rooms are picked up. That stuff's all over the place. You know what I mean? And if I was a little bit smarter and a little bit less focused on me, I could probably spend some time helping them go forward in those things through fun and story. Now, there's work to be done, and, and we got, you know, you got to train your kids how to work, you got to train your kids how to do chores, and all that kind of stuff. But don't embitter your kids. I told you last week that and I find myself so often discouraging with my words and picking out the 10 things that are wrong and that need to get done and just assuming that, you know, everything is fine and encouraged with my kids otherwise. It's easy to embitter your kids, to discourage them, to exasperate them. I came home a couple weeks ago and... Uh, there was one toy where we're at that is really, really loud. Do you have any of those toys in your family? And I just got home and I just sat down and this toy was getting used. And, and I'm like, that toy has got to go. You know, that's got to go. And so I said, all right, boys, you know, that loud toy, turn that thing off. We've got to be done with that for the night. Not really thinking anything of it. And sure enough, a couple minutes later, Wyatt, our eight-year-old, our redhead, um, he lights that thing up. And uh, I'm like, all right, man, go to your bed. And I said, if you're going to choose to disobey, go to your bed. And, uh, and so he's like, oh, man. And he's, he's sad. And he kind of started whimpering as he walked away. And I left him in there for a few minutes. And then I walked in and I said, man, Wyatt, I said, I just got home. I said, I just asked you one simple thing. Not that there's tons of other toys to play with. Why do you have to play with that toy? And uh, he's like, well, I don't know. He's crying. And 
And I said, well, what do you think we should do? He said, well, I disobeyed. And then I had a thought. And believe me, this doesn't happen all the time. I said to him, you know what? I said, you disobeyed. I said, but you disobeyed a stupid rule. I said, I shouldn't have asked you not to play with that. Because I just got home. There was nothing wrong with that toy. I didn't have to to say, don't play with that toy. They were right in the middle of playing with it when I got home. Why do I have to come home and say, all the fun stops? I should have gotten down with him on my hands and knees and played with him. And so I said, you know what? I made a stupid rule. Yeah, you broke the rule. But I made a stupid rule. I said, so what should we do? And he said, well, maybe we should both go to bed. And and, uh, I said, well, yeah, maybe. And, and I said, we probably both need to ask forgiveness, don't we? I said, because that is a dumb thing. And so I apologized to him and asked his forgiveness. And he apologized to me. And I said, isn't it amazing that God is so willing to forgive us? For me as a dad, making a stupid rule. And that's not the height of my stupidity, by the way. I get way stupider than that. And way more harsh than that. And he forgives us when we disobey. And so what we did is we got down on our knees and we just had a sweet moment of saying, God, you're amazing. You forgive us so freely. You love us so well. Don't you think it would be cool to have for your kids if we as parents could make mistakes and pursue not discouraging and embittering our kids? And I need you to pray for me that way. Because I want to put myself first. I come home, I just think about putting myself first. It might have been the example you had at your home when you grew up. Folks came home, dad came home, mom came home from work, and, and it was all about them. And here's the thing. Jesus is our first relationship. And because of Jesus and his example, I put myself second. You know what I'm saying? And it's easy. I have friends who stop the car at the same place every day on the way home, pull over on the side of the road, and they say, all right, this is the dividing line. This block, okay, everything from my day stays, stays behind me. And God, I need your strength because I got to go home. I'm going to serve my wife. I'm going to serve my kids. And I'm going to love them well. It's not about me. I'm going to go home to serve as a dad and as a husband for the next couple hours. And then when everybody's in bed, and I can breathe. Dads, moms, wouldn't it be cool for your kids to have a mom and dad engage that way? To say, I'll be second, because Jesus is first, and I'm going to serve you. You see, in family, that's what we need. The band is going to come up. And, and today... If it's your first time with us, we usually close in worship. We usually close in uh, a few songs of worship. And today, um, that's not what we're going to do. The band's going to come up and they're going to sing and close us out. But we want we want to encourage you, because this song is about leaving a legacy, about being a blessing to our kids, about being a blessing to each other and the community around us. We want to encourage you to not think of this moment as your time of worship. We want to walk away and say, God, 
would you help me to worship you in the way I interact with my, my kids and my wife, my husband, the way I be like you with my family? All right, so we want to, even as these guys sing, would you pray and say, God, would you help me to be a blessing to my family? Because the world is watching. Your neighbors, your friends, they see what kind of family you have. You see what kind of family I have. We want to be a blessing. In the name of Jesus. So Lord, as we close today, God, we ask you that you would help us to not just pursue our own interests, but to serve each other in a way that honors you and serve each other in a way that brings more and more people into your kingdom. We love you, Lord. Would you do this in us in Christ's name?